Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Daryl Grove and I'm joined by a man who has definitely done his Champions League research. His name is Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Hello, I certainly have. I tweeted about it last night and got the response of, you're re-watching Manchester United Chelsea instead of watching CONCACAF <laughs> Champions League? It wasn't for pleasure, it was for research. Here's how I know. I uh-huh. asked her, are you, ready? are you ready to go? Are you ready mm-hmm. to record? And you said, oh, I've just got to add a couple graphics to my notes. <laughs> I was like, oh dear, all right. Lineups, baby. You're making me, you're making me feel nervous about my research. No, you know, see, I think this is a difference between us and, and it's really not a positive or negative one way or the other. I just tend to like to have like a potential starting 11 in front of me. I feel yeah, like it yeah. gives me a point to kind of reference consistently. Whereas I feel like you're better at kind of keeping that in your head and not being quite as reliant on like, he's going to go here and that means this. Yeah. You're a bit more jazz. I'm, non- I'm non-committal. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sure. <laughs> so we got some, uh, we got some interesting games is how I'm going to phrase this one. We certainly do. Mm-hmm. So the game's coming up um, next week. We're yep. recording this on Friday. These are next week's Champions League round of 16 first leg games. Chelsea Bayern on Tuesday. That one's on TNT. Napoli Barcelona that same day. Um, Leon Juve is Wednesday and Real Madrid Man City also Wednesday. Mm-hmm. That game is obviously on TV. Yes, that's, it is. that's on TNT. Yep. Um, shall we get started? We shall. Um, all right, let's start with Tuesday's game. Mm-hmm. The game that's on TNT, Chelsea versus Bayern. Mm-hmm. I think from the top, I'm going to assume no Christian Pulisic. Uh, that seems to be the case. Uh, he is was obviously out for the Man United game. He's already been ruled out for the Spurs game this weekend. Stands to reason that they wouldn't take the risk on then starting him in a midweek yep. Champions League game. So yes, so, I'm going to assume no Pulisic. So we have to just pretend we're Canadian if yes. we want to get involved in this in a North American way. <laughs> that is absolutely correct, yes. <laughs> uh, which is sad because I would have enjoyed seeing uh, Pulisic, uh, I guess not on the same side as Alfonso Davies, uh. but they could have been on opposite sides sort of uh, representing CONCACAF and yeah. doing it well. Instead, we'll probably get get something similar to what we saw this past uh, week. We'll get probably Pedro on the left, William on the right, maybe Hudson-Odoi in there, but that would be my guess. But it is the kind of question about Chelsea is what do they do with some of their injuries or how big of a concern are those injuries? And what Golo, are those injuries? N'Golo Kante subbed out uh, first half against Manchester United. Dun, dun, dun. A doctor injury uh, will be out at least five weeks. So no N'Golo Kante in this game. The other big one would be Tammy Abraham, who did not play uh, against Manchester United, has, I guess, reportedly been dealing with a significant amount of pain, playing through pain, had painkilling injections against Leicester to get him through that game. Oh, England strikers. So it's a combination of, I think, injury plus being worn down because Frank Lampard pretty much hates his other striking options, it so, seems. yeah, is it Giroud o'clock? Is it Batshuayi time? I man, if I can't imagine it's Batshuayi time, Why which not? because he looked uh, I went going back and rewatching that game. I, I like Michi Batshuayi. I like him as a striker and as a person, at least from his social media accounts. Yeah, yeah. He did not seem up for that game. And I don't mean from a like physical standpoint. Obviously, he's physically fit. I think the rhythm of the way Chelsea play, really, he was out of sync with it. So you had the one where the ball's played behind him because he makes a run too early and he has to try to like get the outside of a foot to it. He had a lot of shooting opportunities that he did not take cleanly or did not take well at all. Yeah. And a lot of moments when you could tell that they were looking for him to be in a position and he was not. And the one that really stands out to me the commentator caught this too when there's the incident with Maguire when Maguire probably should have been sent off for the, that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when Batshuayi is on the ground Frank Lampard is standing there hands on chest and just sort of looks at Batshuayi makes no like nothing to be like oh my player's hurt and just sort of like mm, and then goes back to like looking at the team and it was very like I am not enjoying what you're doing uh, for my team huh. today Batshuayi, but he doesn't enjoy the slow technical work of Olivier Giroud either does no he? he does not and it, and it is sort of the problem with Chelsea because they are set up uh, the way I was looking at them if you bring in Caballero 
Gallardo, the goalkeeper, you could almost imagine it as like two Vs is the way they're set up hmm. of like a V of five, a V of five, and then that one central who is meant to be very mobile and link up play and create triangles and create opportunities and open up space for other players. So Jorginho? <laughs> well, that's that's the one. But then you, you basically need a forward Jorginho. And you don't really oh, have that yeah. aside from Tammy Abraham. You have it in Musa Dembele, who they're definitely going to try to sign. More on him later when we talk Leon. But that's my big question, Mark, is is Tammy Abraham fit? Uh, or will they try to play him even if he's like marginally fit? Because the other options really don't fit with what Chelsea need. So it sounds like they'll try everything medically possible to get Tammy Abraham on the field. That would be my guess, yeah. yes. Because otherwise, How it... many pain-killing injections is too many? Is the big question <laughs> for Chelsea this week. It's one they're going to find out. Yeah. Uh, it's an any given Sunday plotline in the making. Uh, <laughs> but it, it's also telling that Olivier Giroud was behind Michy Batshuayi, who looked off the pace already. So yeah. I think unless they're going to change their entire formation, you basically have to hope it's Abraham if you're a Chelsea fan. All right. Uh, what, what else is going on with Chelsea then, apart mm-hmm. from their striking problems? The one that I think is really important to spotlight, because it's not a player I really talked about at all this season, but I think I have as like a key player for them is Mateo Kovacic. I think he is yes, every time so I see him. much better than I realize. Yes. And I th- and I think it's because he stands out as a player that they brought in in my mind as like a desperation, like they had the option to buy before they had the transfer ban. So to me it's like well they just needed somebody, they signed him and you watch him play again going back to the United game. He is the one midfielder, I feel like, from Chelsea who will turn under pressure, even in his own defensive third. So confident. And drive forward with the ball and yep. play it wide. But he's the one who will break presses. He will break like disadvantageous situations. Yep. A lot and of newspapers out of business because of Kovacic. There you go. Exactly. He's breaking them left and right, man. Well done, sir. Uh, but it's it's just the kind of confidence and willingness to take people on. Yep. But he's he is, the, in my mind, sort of the definition of a very tidy player mm-hmm. in that it's like tight dribbling. He'll do like maybe a step over and then it's like a quick layoff or he'll do a step over at turn and then like play a ball across the top of the box yeah, yeah. it's not that it's then not, I'm going to do not, five more it's not dribble past three players no. and get tackled by the fourth right exactly. it's dribbling past the exact right yeah, amount of players really well said, and then man. picking the pass that is like the perfect summation because yeah. he doesn't do too much and then get caught in counter mm-hmm. he does the exact right amount I love that analysis thank All you right. Daryl Grove so that's the other one that I think could be massively important for Chelsea because Bayern are so fluid and will be so suffocating at times that you need people who can sort of calm things down on an individual level because I do think this game is going to be very much about Bayern Munich. So who's the Conte replacement? I'm assuming Chelsea are basically a 4-3-3, right? Yes. Three-man midfield. It's going to be probably Jorginho in the middle, Mm -hmm. probably Kovacic alongside him, and then is it Mason That would be my assumption, and then it maybe is almost more of a 4-2-3-1. That's who came in when... uh, 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 when Conte got injured against Manchester United. Maybe it's Ross Barkley. I don't know if he brings you the kind of like the steel that you're looking for yeah. there. Not that Mason Mount does, but he wants the ball, does Mount. Yeah. So that would be my guess. So 4-3-3 uh, three, three if Barkley plays, 4-2-3-1 if Mount plays. Ish. Right, yeah, with I Mount as so. the 10, mm-hmm. and then Jorginho and Kovacic underneath. Yep. Yeah. yeah, and then back four. As we've come to expect, I'm going to assume it's Reese James. That's who it's been lately. Oh, really? Uh, he did well against or well enough against Manchester United. But then it was what? A- Aspilicueta plays left back. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And then sometimes you'll see that switched up. There's some rotations there. But yeah, that'd be my guess. And then I, Caballero in goal, uh, as has become the norm. I wouldn't trust Alonso to play left back against Bayern Munich. Correct. And I wouldn't trust. I don't think Emerson Palmieri to play left back against Bayern Munich. Also correct. <laughs> so I trust Aspilicueta more with the defensive yep. role mm-hmm. against, what, who's going to be dribbling at them? Probably Serge Gnabry, maybe? Mm-hmm. Um, or you've got to track Thomas Muller coming in. Or Good luck with that. It's not going to be easy, right? Well, let's talk about Bayern then, if you yeah. don't mind, unless you have well, more Well, I was just thinking of Reese James. I don't mm-hmm. think of as like big, big game Champions League yeah. experience kind of guy. But I also, every time I see him, he looks so confident mm-hmm. that I don't think he's going to be phased by 
uh, phased by the big occasion. Yeah, I don't think so. But we'll if anything, he'll be like, why, hasn't, why haven't I done this before? Yes, I've been here this whole time. You yeah. just didn't even know. <laughs> uh, and it will be a tough task for Chelsea. I do, if I were predicting, I would say Bayern Munich get through uh, both of these overall. But maybe even this game, I think they're going to get a goal or two because that's what they Away do lately. All right. They are a very good team. So much better than the Bayern Munich team that you and I saw in person way back when, when they still had Niko Kovac. Instead, well, we saw the last gasp of Niko mm-hmm. Kovac. Right, Hansi Flick. I, I had to like to look up if he had like was a, a disciple of Pep Guardiola, if he had played under Pep Guardiola, something because this team looks like Pep Guardiola's Barcelona, or Bayern Munich team. Mm. It is ridiculous, and it starts with the man who has become incredibly important to them, Thomas Muller, who did not look like he was fitting in at all under Niko Kovac. Yeah. It's Thomas Muller of old. It is maybe the best I've seen him play this past weekend. They annihilated uh, FC Köln. You, just you have thinking, thinking face. My thinking mm-hmm. face is the best Thomas Muller has looked for the German national mm-hmm. team was probably 2014. Mm-hmm. And that was when Hansi Flick was Yogi Love's assistant. Yep. So there's something about the way Flick coaches that mm-hmm. brings the best out of Thomas Muller. Yes. And, and I think especially when Muller is central. Sometimes he gets uh, deployed wide. He was wide against RB Leipzig with Goretzka in the middle. I think they look much better with Muller central in that number 10 spot. Yeah. Uh, and I should note, like, yes, this is an FC Köln team who have been near the bottom of the table. It's also an FC Köln team who had won uh, five of their last six in the Bundesliga, including over Leverkusen, Wolfsburg, Frankfurt. So it's a, it's a better team, and yet they were ripped to shreds. And a lot of that is Thomas Muller doing Thomas Muller things of there was one moment when he gets it's a. It's not a one-two. It's sort of a wall pass, but he gets like a forty-yard pass into feet from Joshua Kimmich in the center of the field, and he one touches it forty yards diagonally into the path of an on-running Robert Lewandowski. Like in two touches, they go the length of the field. Basically, like that's the kind of link-up play he's giving you. Yeah, and then he's still doing the Muller hello. Uh, actually, will you explain the Muller hello for people who are maybe new to it or have never heard it before? Yeah, it's when Thomas Muller appears as if by magic. Yeah, appears out of nowhere <laughs> in space <laughs> yeah. and more or less scores. And yeah. it's the opposite of an Irish goodbye, right? When yes. you don't announce that you're leaving, he doesn't yeah. announce that he's arrived, but exactly. suddenly he's just shown up in space. Exactly. He's doing a lot of that and facilitating for Robert Lewandowski, who, once again, cannot stop scoring. So Tom, uh, Thomas mm. Lewandowski. Yeah. Robert Lewandowski, all-round striker, yes. can do a little bit of everything. Yep. We, so we assume it's Lewandowski, striker, mm-hmm. Muller underneath him. I think that would be, if you see Muller underneath, I would be nervous if you're Chelsea. If you see Goretzka underneath, maybe that's a little better for Chelsea. He's nervous, but just a little less nervous. Yes, a so what, nervous. what's the rough shape of mm-hmm. Bayern and what is the style of play? Sure. You, you said it looks like a Guardiola team, but what does that mean? Uh, so I think it's it's a four two three one is yep. my guess. Uh, Joshua Kimmich tends to drop in a little deeper than his midfield partner Thiago, mm-hmm. uh, and it is the sort of I think what really crystallized it for me to your question about Barcelona and Pep uh, was that it's like oh right this is the guy that Pep brought with him from Barcelona is Thiago because you see him doing a lot of the little Barcelona like pass 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 when you know those moments like I think of them as very identifiably Barcelona from that era of yeah. like. You and me are standing two yards apart, and we're just passing back and forth, and it doesn't seem like it's doing anything, but it might be. Yeah. It's a lot of that again from Tiago. Uh, so Kimmich will drop in. They'll rotate. Sometimes maybe it's Tiago, but usually it's Kimmich goes a little bit deeper. Tiago stays ahead, and because whoever's trying to mark Kimmich will go with him, it then opens up space in the middle, and that's what it is for Bayern Munich that I think is so dangerous is the fluidity of movement, the interchanging of positions, and the ability to keep finding pockets of space. There are moments in this game this past weekend when you have Gnab who was on the left, Coleman on the right, three yards from each other on the right-hand side of the field. first wingers at this point? Yes, and you'll see them kind of both overload one side, both go central, and the fullbacks will advance, but you just have so much sort of 
interchange that it's really difficult, I think, for teams trying to defend that to track. Because if you're going man-marking, you track your runner, now you're overloaded on one side and you've left a huge gap on the other. But if you don't, it requires that like almost Atletico Madrid discipline to stay compact because otherwise you're going to give space. Can we talk Alfonso Davis? We can. So Alfonso Davis has been playing what we could call left-back, mm-hmm. but with license to get forward and dribble. Yep. Right. So you often end up, this is what I've seen of Bayern, you end up facing two wingers yes. often, right? Mm-hmm. You, ha- you could have Coman and Alfonso Davies coming at you. Yes, and he is certainly, it'll be Alfonso Davies on the left, uh, Benjamin Pavard on the right. Definitely Alfonso Davies more licensed to get forward. Yeah. But I think I understand more why he's become such a key performer for this team, specifically at left back. Because to your point, yes, he can make those overlapping runs. He's involved in goals this past weekend. But his speed is so impressive that they leave him back on all set pieces, especially corner kicks. He is the deepest player because there's no way you're going to outrun him on a counterattack. Right. So he stays deep there, and he can make up that ground that he can get forward and then almost make it back in time to be the covering defender. There were moments when the Bayern Munich, were pu- Bayern Munich back line were pushed up to midfield. He's maybe 20 yards ahead of them, and he's the one who comes back to like put out the danger when Colin would counter. So just those moments from him, he was my third player in terms of players that I think will be important and impressive against Chelsea. So centre-backs, I'm mm-hmm. guessing it's what, Alaba? Yep. Has basically just been playing centre-back mm-hmm. all year, right? Yep. And Bayern still putting their faith in Boateng. You are correct, yes. Yeah. Uh, they For like the first 60 minutes or so. And then I think eventually, especially if you're playing a team that's trying to kind of get in behind or beat you at, with pace, yeah. that's when he tends to, tends to come out and that's when Hernandez comes in. Yeah, because uh, I feel like every time I've seen Boateng, he looks like... Um, he doesn't look like his old self, mm-hmm. right? His old self used to cover ground really quickly. Mm-hmm. Used to be a really aggressive defender, would just get to things first, yep. almost through. Um, it was good timing, but athletic gifts of just making sure you get there first. Mm-hmm. And it looks like he just doesn't have that anymore. Yeah. He looks like a 35-year-old centre-back when he's not a 35-year-old centre-back. Is he not? I kind of thought he was. <laughs> I don't know how old he is, but I'll guarantee he's not that old. <laughs> yeah, probably not. Um, but yeah, I think he's there for, I think a lot of this team is built around, can you do what Hansi Flick wants you to do? And can you kind of p- play the passing fluid system that they want to utilize? I think it's why uh, the aforementioned Luca Hernandez has not been as big of a performer, despite coming in and spending, Byron, spending a lot of money for him to come in and be a strong defender for them. Yeah. That it's David Alaba and Jerome Boateng are the first choice center backs with an actual center back on the bench coming in every now and then Mm -hmm. speaks volumes about what they're doing and how they're trying to play. My final thing I want to say about Bayern Munich uh, is just that, again, going back to the why I think of them as like a Pep Guardiola Bayern Munich is because you've got Manuel Neuer doing Manuel Neuer things again every now and then coming 40 yards off his line or 30 yards off his line to make a slide tackle that he pulls off successfully but then still making big saves, still being good on the ball. It just feels like a, a renaissance for this Bayern team. What about how they match up tactically? Mm-hmm. Is there anything that favors one team or the other in terms of how Chelsea and Bayern shape yeah. up against each I th- other? I think in terms of vulnerabilities for Bayern Munich, I worked very hard to try to find things that Chelsea could exploit. And I think the biggest one is just that if they sit in, if they Chelsea sit in in like a mid-low block, they do have Tammy Abraham if they have Tammy Abraham and they do have uh, pace out wide, specifically on Chelsea's... Uh, left-hand side, Byron's right, where Pavar would be, you could maybe exploit that high line of Byron because they are going to push all the way up to midfield. Yeah. So maybe if you can kind of get that position in the middle, you've got numbers there, so you're solid, a quick combination, and then you spring somebody down the channel, that's where I think you might be able to exploit them. Here's my worry. Every time I've seen Chelsea, mm-hmm. I've really enjoyed watching them play, yep. but because Frank Lampard sends them out in an almost naive kind of way, mm-hmm. like it's never like a cynical all right, we're going to sit back yeah. and deny you space, and then we're going to counter. They always look kind of open, right? Yeah. They're like your really honest friend mm-hmm. who's incapable of lying to you. 
<laughs> yeah, I can see that. If I, I chopped down a cherry tree, they would admit to it straight away. Yes, yeah. I think that's Frank Lampard. <laughs> but I also think Frank Lampard, I would go with another analogy of like he's trying to assemble a wardrobe from a closet that's been like combined from four different people. And it's just sort of like, I guess I'm going to wear this and like this doesn't fit exactly what I want. And I think that is sort of what he's got here because he's playing Jorginho every game. Jorginho is probably not the midfielder he would like to play in that kind of holding midfielder position if he had his choice. Yeah. But it's who he has. They had the transfer embargo. So my guess would be he doesn't want uh, Andres Christensen and Antonio Rudiger. And Christensen, like Rudiger, maybe more so he's okay with. But like that's probably not the ideal center back pair to go up yeah. against this uh, uh, Bayern team. But he's making do with what he has. So I think he gets a little more credit from me just because of that. He gets a debit from me for not recalling Matt Miazga. That's probably fair. Not really. I'm not sure Matt Miazga would um, <laughs> would up Chelsea's defensive game. That's fair. I don't think he would either. I don't think he would either. But I think it, it will be a very intriguing game. And if nothing else, Bayern are so fun to watch mm-hmm. that I would say that is reason alone to watch that game. Okay. Yeah. And again, the fact that Chelsea won't shut it down means... Mm-hmm. I almost guarantee you won't get a sort of, this mm-hmm. game is this game is close for business. I think there's going to be some goals. All right. The same day, the same time, um, not on TNT. You'd have to go on BR Live or um, probably on Galavision would mm-hmm. be my guess if you're watching in Espanol. Um, Napoli versus Barcelona. Napoli versus Barcelona is the other game. It's at Napoli's stadium. Um, should we start with Napoli? Mm-hmm. Since I think people will be uh, less familiar with... Rino Gattuso's Napoli. Rino Gattuso has been the coach since December when Ancelotti was has it fired. Been December? Yeah, it's been wow. a while. So that's what, two and a half months by the time we get to this game. That's a lot of time. Yep. Yep. So I, I really am sort of very. I feel like it was not that long ago, but then yeah, Ancelotti goes to Everton right away. It makes more sense then. Mm-hmm. Once uh, I think about it. All right, so here's the, the rough shape of Napoli is 4 3 3 in attack. Mm-hmm. So 4 3 3, and almost exclusively from the games I've seen, when defending, they will not high press. They will switch to a mid to low block, depending on who they're facing, 4 5 1. So the wingers will, you know, they'll be attacking wingers, and then they'll just drop in 4 5 1. So it's, it's going to be uh, Insigne on the left, little Insigne in his right foot, um, and Kayahan on the right, um, who's more of a classic winger. He really is like right-footed, get down the wing, cross it in. Right-footed, get down the wing, cross it in. Right, Both mm-hmm. are really capable of contrib- contributing to the attack. Talk more about Insigne later because I think he's very, very important to what I they do. I love Insigne. Yeah, he, yeah he's, I wasn't that familiar with him. The more I watched him, I was like, all right, I might okay. be an Insigne fan. I see what you're doing yeah. here. Yeah. Um, but they are both very, very, it seems, committed to the idea of, all right, the attacking phase is over. We're going to get back. We're going to be part of the 4 5 1. We're not going to complain about it. They are all in on it. Um, and at least the, the best team I've seen them face in the league has been Juventus. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing I saw them do really interestingly defensively, which is going to be important when you're playing Barcelona, right? Even if you're at home, is in that 4 5 1, they do what I would call a pop out and step two, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> yeah. So it's 4 5 1, it's deep, right? Um, but wherever the ball goes, a player with the ball, someone from the five midfielders, it's all kind of tight, the four, tight four, tight five, will step out to the ball so that you're not just all reactive and defensive and all stepping off the ball. Mm. They'll pop out, step two, just get in your face, not try and win the ball. Um, and then if the ball is like switched to the other side, then that person will go and rejoin, be reabsorbed into the, mm-hmm. <laughs> into the Borg collective five <laughs> that they have. And then someone from the other side will pop out <laughs> and step two, right? Yep. So they maintain always at least four midfielders, but then always one person go in and step into the ball it's a bit more fluid than like mm-hmm. just having a 4-4-2 bear halter block yeah you know what I'm saying yeah I got you that makes sense yeah so I think this could work for most of the game against Barcelona 
So one thing I rewatched that game as well from a, oh because you were previewing Juventus from a yeah. Juventus standpoint yeah and exactly. Napoli won that game it's worth they did out, right. yeah one thing I I thought I noticed I'm wondering if you saw it and if you think this is a thing that they might do if you think they did it against Juve but it felt like Juventus are a team that want sort of passing repetition they want rotations they want triangles and I felt like Napoli did a good job of yeah we're just gonna foul you like yeah we're gonna kick you here and I think they disrupted a little bit and they didn't really let Juventus get into the rhythms that yeah. they need to get into to become that sort of juggernaut that we know they uh-huh. can be. But not in dangerous positions, exactly. right? Not in Ronaldo free kick and, and not to the extent where you got like six different players were on yellow cards in the 40th minute and now you've got to worry about it for the rest of the game. Yeah. They're like smart with it, but they're still physical enough to break that kind of the rhythm and what the other team wants to do. And that does feel like a thing that could be successful against Barcelona. So I'm wondering if you saw that and if you think that might work against Barca. Honestly, I, I mean, I saw, I saw some fouls, but okay. it didn't like stand out to me as like, this is what they're definitely mm-hmm. going to do. Right? Yeah. I, don't, right. I don't think the plan will be to go out and foul Barcelona. I, may, I think, again, maybe this is... What I think I saw from a Juve standpoint, plus Gattuso, <laughs> equals okay. physical fouling. <laughs> so the four-five-one defensive shape, mm-hmm. I think, could work. When they get the ball back, there is still the smell of cigarettes in the air. <laughs> there I is know, still... I know what you mean, and also because I think in a lot of the games I've seen, you can see Napoli fans smoking, so I think literally <laughs> and figuratively. That sorry yeah. short-passing game, I think he's still... Even though they're two mm-hmm. coaches later, right? Two coaches yep. later? Um, there's still just that thing of... We pass over short distances pretty quick. I know that Juve, again, they slowed it down a bit, but usually they pass quickly over short distances um, and, and move the ball, move the ball, move the ball, move the ball, which is a very sorrible kind of thing, mm-hmm. right? So that's, that's basically the key. 4-5-1, defensive with the pop-out. 4-3-3, short passes, short passes, short passes. Um, all right, I want to get into some, some key players. Yep. I cannot pick a Napoli starting eleven because there's – all kinds of injuries. Yep. Uh, but I'm going to do my best guess at sort of who's going to be important and where they're going to play. Aren't they also like sneakily incredibly impressive with who they have on that roster? I feel like there's a ton of players that yes. are... Oh, him and him and him? What? There's, there's more than 11 guys who yeah. should be playing, essentially. Um, <laughs> so let's start with Lorenzo Insigne because yep. I think he'll be... Uh, I think he'll start this game. Mm-hmm. I think he's important. Short guy, left wing, right footed. Mm-hmm. Loves to cut inside on that right foot and he will either dribble at you at pace and cause you all sorts of trouble or he will fire in, um, well, he could fire in a shot mm-hmm. from the top of the box. He's not afraid of doing that. And if the ball pops up, he will take a volley very happily. But what he's really good at is these weird in-swinging crosses that are really tough to deal with. Because mm. he's going right-footed yeah. from the left wing. He whips in these crosses that are really tough to deal with. He's aiming for, it depends who's in there. Mm-hmm. It could be Arkadiusz Milik. I think he's the first choice, but he's, a, I think, had an inflammation in his knee. So he's one of these guys that... We don't know if he's going to play or not, right? Um, if it's not Arkadiusz Milik, then you've got Fernando Llorente. We found him. Oh, yeah. He's at Napoli. Woo! Great in the air. Yeah, great is. target man. Not all that mobile, not all that quick, okay. right? So that's one end of the spectrum. Other end of the spectrum is Dries Mertens, the winger converted to a forward. So That's a very different spectrum. It's a very different Man, spectrum, right? It's a broad spectrum, I should so say. So yeah. Arkadiusz Milik is right in the middle. That's why he's the sweet spot, yeah. right? He's like pretty good in the air, um, pretty mobile, pretty clever, nice little flicks and tricks, uh, great finisher, um, especially in the air. I've seen him have a lot of flick headers and headers at the far post. Mm-hmm. So I think Milik is the ideal. Um, and then if he's not good to go because of that inflammation in his knee, then Gattuso has to choose... Do I go aerial threat of Urente or do I go dribbly threat of Dries Mertens? Do you have a prediction for which one it will be or are you just comfortable saying it might be either one depending on what Gattuso wants to do? I think there's going to be ice on Milik's knee okay. in the build-up yep. and in the aftermath of this game. <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> so on the right wing, uh-huh. I think it's going to be Jose Cajon, mm-hmm. um, who I was very unfamiliar with before, before doing these previews. 
but my notes just say classic right winger. Yep. He's the opposite of Insigne. Insigne mm-hmm. cutting in from the left with his right foot. Kehan, right winger, right foot. Doesn't really isn't really interested about dribbling inside or getting involved in anything like that. Right winger, right mm-hmm. foot, get down the wing, cross it in. Yep. Again, if Milik's in there or if Llorente's in there, this absolutely works because yeah. Kehan is just firing in crosses and good crosses. That's yeah. the, that's the key distinction. There is it's a difference between like sprinting down the wing and then just crossing to nobody or overhitting a cross. Yes. His, he does seem to be pretty uh, pretty accurate with that, yep. with that delivery. And as mentioned earlier, Kehan and Insigne both for for guys who are very much attacking wingers, mm-hmm. good defensive work rates. Yep. As soon as it turns over, they're very happy to just sprint back, get back in that four five one shape. Yep. Okay, I want to get to central midfield. Alan might be the guy that mm-hmm. most people think about, like box to box, big number eight Brazilian. Um, he has fallen out of favor with Reno Gattuso. There's literally a quote of Gattuso saying he's not in the squad today because I didn't like the way he trained. Interesting. So Alan might not be involved, hasn't been involved mm-hmm. for a little bit. So don't be surprised if you don't see him. We've got to start with the guy that we've been sort of talking uh-huh. about on and off, right? Yeah. Diego Deme. Yeah. Diego Deme, I'm really confident will start in central defensive midfield for Napoli in this game. I think he'll wear number four. Yeah, he's been wearing number four. This is a guy that joined Napoli in the winter transfer window from RB Leipzig, where he was uh, captain. Yeah. And RB Leipzig were top of the table, but he was determined to move to Napoli. So strange. This was a mystery to us, mm-hmm. right? And like we've, I've read a bit here and there, and we've had listeners email and tweet at us. Now we know the story. Yes. Well, you do. I'm excited to hear it. All uh, right. It's actually conclusion. not that complicated. So Diego Deme has an Italian father right. who grew up a huge Napoli fan. Right, mm. Diego Demi also likes Napoli, mm-hmm. but his dad is like all about Napoli. Yeah. Right, married a German woman, so Diego Demi is Italian German. Right, grew up in Germany. He is called Diego, pretty confident, because his dad is a huge Napoli fan and Diego Maradona. That it's the only well. reason why a German and Italian would have a uh, Spanish name, right, or Argentinian name. Yeah, I'm running through the list. It's it's tough to find a German Diego. Yep, yeah. Diego. And then there's the other element. So he always wanted to play for Napoli, mm-hmm. I think, to please his father, right? The other element is that Diego Demi has said he's a big Reno Gattuso fan. So that is true. Okay, it I wasn't true. sure if it was one of the but other. Here's the interesting thing. More specifically, both. he was an, an admirer of the Gattuso Perlo partnership at Milan. So, so not as a manager necessarily? No, as a player. Ah, right? there it's we all go. about so he he okay. loved the partnership of Perlo and Gattuso for Milan mm-hmm. back in the two thousands. And if you think about that partnership, okay. I've I've seen a quote from Diego Demi that's all about yeah, Gattuso did all the defensive, the hard work, all that stuff, and then Perlo was the technique and the class. It was this perfect marriage, right? Mm-hmm. The really interesting thing is if you watch Diego Deme, he's a little bit of both. Right with the ball, he is—he's not Perlo level because only Perlo is Perlo level, yep. right? In terms of like bending those passes and all that kind of stuff. But Diego Demi can really pick out a pass, right? He can hit a nice diagonal. He can hit a nice bending ball. He can hit lots of nice short passes, really high pass completion percentage, and not from sideways and backwards passes, but from smart, simple forward passes. Really suits the Napoli, um, sorry smoke still hanging in the air, Reno Gattuso style <laughs> of play. He's also very smart about interceptions. And just picking off loose balls, winning loose balls, and getting the attack going again. So like he came from like a, a high pressing, high octane system yes, or something. He suits Leipzig, but he also suits Napoli. Because part of that four five one that I talked about is they essentially they don't try and like pressure you to win the ball back. They just like like hassle you until you make a mistake, right? Mm-hmm. And then the ball's loose, then Diego Deme picks it up. Right. All so right. Diego Deme is going to be at the center 
of all this? Do we feel like we have his Napoli story down now? Yeah, right? I think so. I think okay. so. It, it was complicated because it wasn't one thing, right? It what? was like a bit of love for Gattuso Pirlo, a bit of love for Diego Maradona, a uh, bit of love yeah. for just Napoli as a club. It's a bit of everything. And then there's the fact that he's 28 and he was like, all right, this is my chance to move while I've still got all my athletic gifts. That's the other thing. Pretty quick, like we'll cover ground really quickly. Yeah, but it, I think it feels genuinely unlike the Robbie Keane, this is my boyhood club for the fourth time. This feels like it actually <laughs> is his boyhood club and he was going there no matter what. So. It's, it's at least his father's club. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. All right. I'll take that. That yeah. works. All right. So Diego Demi in the middle. Uh, who else do you want to spotlight? So probably to his left, Zielinski. Mm-hmm. Zielinski, the Polish creative midfielder. Yeah, I'm going to call him a creative midfielder who's not work shy. Mm-hmm. That's what my notes say. Creative <laughs> midfielder who's not work shy. Again, happy to get back, get involved in that defensive effort. If they ever do go long, Zielinski is the one mm-hmm. who can hit the, oh, this sounds like not a compliment, but the Michael Bradley diagonal. <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? I know what you're saying. It's often, it, if it's uh, Kayahan, like, excuse me, mm-hmm. like uh, making a late run to the far post, it'll be Zielinski like hitting that big ball, Kayahan receives, squares it, and it's like Milik or Mertens or Llorente, mm-hmm. whoever's knees are least swollen <laughs> on the end of it. So Zielinski, I think, is really important in the... If they turn over and go fast, it'll be a big Zielinski ball. Um, the other midfielders, it, there's a few people it could be, but I'm guessing Fabian Ruiz, a Spanish central midfielder, six foot two. Um, he's got the extender legs. It's you just, will see a poke, tackle, surprise, go-go gadget legs from Fabian Ruiz. Gotcha. It just occurs to me, we still have to talk Barcelona, don't we? Yes, we do. Oh, boy. But Napoli are fascinating, right? Uh-huh. All right, so final thing on uh-huh. Napoli then, yeah. the defense. Koulibaly. Mm-hmm. We don't know if he's fit or not. Right. He'll be probably a game-time decision. He came back recently from a fairly long injury. He got injured not long after Gattuso took over. Um, He came back recently and then was out for a while. And Gattuso's basically saying, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. We don't know. Right? Mm. I would be panicking about that if I hadn't watched footage of Manolas. Okay. So um, I forgot his first name. He's Greek. Costas Manolas, Greek centre-back. Do you like how I said that as if I knew all along? (laughs) Costas Manolas, Greek centre-back. Way quicker than I realised. He he will cover ground, nice and physical, um, win lots of balls. I have a lot of faith in Manolas. I would argue, especially if Koulibaly's out, Manolas is the key player. Okay. Because his defensive... um, his defensive contribution essentially will will be one of the big things for Napoli in this game. All right, is so, that enough Napoli? That's I a think, lot of Napoli. I think we've got we've got some Napoli in there. Yeah, All let's right. talk. Let's talk who they'll be playing because that's the big one. It does feel like Barcelona. Mm-hmm. So Barcelona, I'm excited to see. So new coach Kike Setien, mm-hmm. eight games in, nine games after this weekend. This will be his tenth game in charge. It already looks like a Kike Setien team because he's essentially, we talked about this at the time, right? He's a disciple of the Guardiola era of Barcelona, mm. of the Cruyff style of Barcelona, the Dutch style, almost like total football um, soccer of Barcelona. They have mostly been playing the classic Barcelona Guardiola style 4-3-3. Now, when we talked about this at the time, my takeaway was that you were like really excited about this because yeah. you were like, it's going to be a return to that. It's going to be really, really exciting. I think I talked to maybe Sam Tyre, maybe Graham Ruffin about that. And then afterwards you were like, I think you mischaracterized me a little bit. I'm yeah. not like so excited as I am like wondering if it will work because yes. he's such a slavish devotee to that style. Yes, and that is what's happening because mm-hmm. he has got them playing something that looks like looks like the Guardiola type hmm. system but isn't as controlled or dominant, right? So they will pass from the back. They will take a lot of risks in terms of moving the ball up the field along the floor, but it is not as like rhythmic and controlled as the sort of tiki-taka Guardiola 2009 era was. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? Like there yeah. was, you had no doubts that that team was just going to keep the ball for long, long stretches and you were not getting it off them. 
this team is like willing to take risks with their passing, and sometimes those risks don't pay off. Okay, yeah, that makes some, sense. Sometimes they lose the ball, and, but it makes sense that there would be that difference because, like, as opposed to the Barcelona or Guardiola who are coming like or like being coached by a manager who played there and it's a bunch of people who are steeped in the system yeah. contrast that with the way Barcelona have gone about the recruitment for their current squad and how it's a little bit disjointed and yeah. it makes sense why maybe it doesn't quite blend quite yet yeah but there's plenty of talent mm-hmm. there right so it does look kind of like a Barcelona team yeah. and basically they are thrilling to watch because they are willing to take all these risks I'm trying to decide where to start with this team I think I'm going to go midfield okay all right so you have what I think is the the best approximation of the Xavi Iniesta Busquets midfield um, that well, you can have. One of those names is going to be familiar. Yeah, one of those names is still there, right? Yeah. That you can have without that like telepathic La Masia link that those guys had. Mm-hmm. It's probably going to be Busquets as the pivot and then Frankie de Jong mm-hmm. and either Artur or Rakitic yep. as, the, as the third guy. It almost doesn't matter which one. They all are scanners, like shoulder checkers, all three of them. Mm-hmm. They're all very capable of like the imaginative pass, the short pass, the keep the ball moving kind of pass. And they're all really exciting in their own little way, right? So Busquets we know about, right? Busquets can sort of hit any pass from any angle. Um, he can dominate a game. He can control the flow of where the ball goes, mm. right? I will say, not that he was ever fleet of foot and not that he was ever like, like the game was built around him being very fast. He does seem like he's a little slower these days and yeah, maybe, maybe a little side. bit sloppier. Yeah. But maybe that was just a couple like individual performances that I'm waiting too highly. But you know who's not slow or sloppy? Frankie de Jong. Frankie de Jong. Yeah, he's real good. Frankie de Jong is like, he's that shoulder checker, he's that passer, but he's also an athlete. This guy has a burst of pace, mm-hmm. right? And he will use that burst of pace just to get in space, right? He'll just use it to like zip and then suddenly he's open. Yep. He'll use it when he receives the ball. He will often just faint one way, go the other way, and he's left someone for dead in midfield. That's a really, really dangerous thing that can happen, right? Thiago can do that mm-hmm. for Bayern as well, right? Frankie de Jong. I wish Thiago would go back to Barcelona and play with Frankie de Jong. That's not Bayern fans disagree. Bayern fans disagree, yeah, fair, fair, fair. Um, so Frankie de Jong, I think he's just really important to this Barcelona team um, in terms of um, the way he can break open a midfield with a clever pass, um, a burst of pace um, or, and just keeping the mm-hmm. ball moving. Artur just picks the right pass every time. I like him. Rakitic the same. Also, there, I feel like Frankie de Jong every now and then gets a big hit and is just like, he'll maybe stay down for a second and then pops back up and keeps going. You don't see a lot of like rolling on the ground from him. There's a bit more like, yeah, okay, let's, let's just keep it going. Let's, let's go, just keep let's it working. Go, yeah, go, I, yeah, another thing I enjoy about his game. <laughs> the fifth guy who may make an appearance in this three-man midfield is Arturo Vidal. Mm-hmm. But I, I sort of doubt it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. I've yes. seen Arturo Vidal deployed more when they do go with like a weird diamond type mm-hmm. thing and he'll play at the tip of the diamond. Um, but I think he's only for special occasions. Yep. Um, not when you, not when the best guests are coming only over. Only for special occasions. When like rougher guests are coming over and you need someone to deal with them. You know what I'm saying? I do know what you're saying. <laughs> I mean, we literally had a question not too long ago about why is Arturo Vidal not a Barca player or like Barca player, quote unquote. Yeah. I think right there that kind of maybe puts it in perspective a little bit. Yeah, mm-hmm. there you go. All right, we'll talk attacking options and Leo Messi sure. very, very soon because Leo Messi is obviously the key player mm-hmm. on this Barcelona team, but I want to talk about the defence okay. first. All right, so Piquet. We know about Piquet. He's kind of from the Busquets mould, as in like he's been around, we know what he does. Mr. Shakira. Mm-hmm. Mr. Shakira, like great passing out the back, all that, Gerard Piquet. His defensive partner, I think, will be Longley. Yeah. Uh, Longley is one of the bravest passers I've ever seen. 
Really? Yes. Interesting. Longley will bring that, especially, I think especially under Kike Tetian, he will bring the ball out of the back and he will find a pass. He will force it through holes that aren't necessarily there. Yes. Or he will loop it over the top of people. He will find the pass out of the back. It's dangerous sometimes. Sometimes it's the wrong choice. Sometimes Diego Deme is going to pick it off and Napoli are going to come at you. He launches that one against Celta Vigo, right? The one that's like, he. I think he plays it into the feet of Frankie de Jong. Frankie de Jong plays it forward. Frankie de Jong gets yes. it back and scores. But it's Longley playing a 40-yard pass I think like through three Celta players in like a two-yard gap yep. the entire way through. And Longley would easily be the riskiest, most exciting passer from the middle of this Barcelona team if it wasn't for the goalkeeper. Because <laughs> <laughs> the most amazing thing about this Barcelona team is Ter Stegen yep. bringing it out of the back. Yeah, It has got to such a degree. I actually don't know if they're doing this under Valverde or if this is a Kike thing. Um, when Barcelona take a goal kick... They have a centre-back take it, which is normally what happens when your goalkeeper can't kick, right? You have the centre-back kick it long. They have a centre-back take it, pass it to the middle of the six-yard box for Ter Stegen, and then he takes it from there. Mm -hmm. And what he'll do, he'll tempt forwards to come into him, or he'll just bring it forward, and he will find a pass. And I'm not talking about just, like, kicking it long or kicking it diagonal. He will, like, pass it along the ground through four midfielders and find the feet of, like, Antoine Griezmann playing centre forward. Mm-hmm. It is absolutely incredible what Ter Stegen is doing with the ball from goal kicks. Will you permit me, like, I want to go on a, not a rant, but, like, a ramble here for a moment just yeah. to say that we talk a lot about VAR and how that's changed everything. I feel like the low-key like rule change that has really fundamentally changed the way a lot of teams play and approach the game is that goal kick rule where you yes. can be in the box now because it does invite the, the quick passing combinations you pull in the uh, opposition team and then even if you end up going long we've talked about this before you've still you've pulled, pulled them, them forward, forward yeah. and it just it, it really does change the way you're able to deal with goal kicks and also allows for easier build out of the back and then allows for experimentation like yep. we're talking about with Barcelona it is low-key one of my favorite rule changes of the last like 20 or 30 years and so the thing most teams have been doing is the keeper will like pass it very very short mm-hmm. to a center back in the box and possession starts from there and it's important that the the opposition team has to stay outside the 18 until that kick is taken but then they can come in mm-hmm. right but what you often see is then like the left center back say has the ball and they're already like towards the edge of the box and that other player can come in and get them yeah. because Barcelona pass it inwards <laughs> from the edge of the six yard box to the center where Ter Stegen is mm-hmm. Ter Stegen has a little bit more time than a centre-back does because he's starting central with the ball. So keep an eye out for that because some magnificent passes are going to come from Ter Stegen, but mm-hmm. it's also going to be the source of potential turnovers that are going to be trouble for Barcelona. Right. All right, we, now we've got to talk about Leo Messi. Mm-hmm. All right, Barcelona are missing all kinds of players, right? Is this, is this preview going to be longer than the Champions League game itself? Not longer than two <laughs> legs. <laughs> okay, um, So Luis Suarez, long-term injured. Uh-huh. Um, Dembele, long-term injured. Yeah. Barcelona's strike force is going to be Antoine Griezmann probably playing centre-forward, not fully comfortable with it, but doing it. I'm going to guess Leo Messi on the right and probably Ansu Fati on the left, right? The key thing there is everything is all about Leo Messi, even though there are two mm-hmm. other players involved. Right. And what I've come to appreciate about Antoine Griezmann um, is he's almost willing to sacrifice whatever he's doing to make make things as... Um, productive as possible for Leo Messi, mm-hmm. right? So we talk about Leo Messi a lot, but if you think about the things that are most effective about Leo Messi, it's if he can get at the top of the box with the ball facing you, you're in trouble, mm-hmm. right? Because he can dribble at you. He can do that, like, just shoulder one way, then dribble the other way, and he's, like, dribbling on goal. He can, like, pick a weird pass out that you didn't see coming that Leo Messi can find. He can find a bit of space and shoot. You're in trouble if Leo Messi is facing you. Uh, so what they will do is, it's a very, like, bear-haltery patterns of play thing. You'll see a lot of... Griezmann and Messi crisscross. As in, Griezmann will go to the right, Messi will come central. 
right? Just to just to open up a bit of space for Messi. Or you'll see Griezmann breaks deep. Mm-hmm. Like so, Griezmann breaks towards goal. Messi drops away from goal, pulls the centre backs back. There's a little bit of space. Suddenly, Messi is available to receive the ball in space. And he can run at you. So they're constantly moving, 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 trying to get Messi in the best possible spot. And then my favorite thing of all to look for is when there's all the complicated passing going on, at some point, Messi will just do a straight run in behind and Busquets will try and lift it over the top of you. Yeah. And I think that's what might happen to Napoli. Yeah. They'll be so concentrated on staying tight, doing this, doing that, and they'll get caught out by Busquets from deep under not that much pressure. We'll just chip it over all of them and Messi will run in behind. If we're doing specific predictions, that's what I think is going to happen. You think so? Yes. Is there enough space, do you think? Will Napoli leave that space for Messi to get in? It doesn't need that much because no? Busquets is so very, very accurate. And it works the other way as well that Messi has that ability to just like spot that pass. He he had a couple of like, scoop passes this past weekend that yeah. no one saw coming that somehow worked and they were like 25 yards out, but he still played somebody in inside their own 18. He's it was well done. scarily accurate. Yep. Uh, final thing on Barca, I think Jordi Alba is going to be injured. That is a big, big miss for them. Firpo will play left back. He's fine, but he's not Jordi Alba. That, this is definitely true. No, he is not. He always takes some time to get into games. What about their new signing? Do you think he comes in, their absurd new signing? I assume he can't register. Braithwaite, right? I would hope not. I don't Who think knows? he can register for Champions League okay. action. Even if he does, do you think he'll play? I don't know. I That's such it. a That feels so unfair to me. At the time, it was like, oh, they're going to have like a new signing coming in. That'll help them strengthen. We'll have the title race. And now it feels sort of like, oh, at the expense of a team probably getting relegated because yeah. you took the best player and they, they can't retool. I would argue they don't necessarily need him. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> that is very correct. Even with so, their quote-unquote crisis, so, they don't need him. So do you want to talk any more about like individual matchups or how do you think these two teams are going to clash? Well, I it, feel like uh, you not so subtly suggested that I was going long, so <laughs> well, not, I, I don't, if you don't want to. Well, I think we, have we talked much about what, what Napoli could do? Are there any vulnerabilities, you think, with Barcelona? For Barcelona, I mm. think it will be Barcelona's determination to pick out risky passes. But okay. I, I actually think the best thing to do to Barcelona will be to press them. Mm-hmm. Betis caused them all sorts of trouble. Hetefe caused them a lot of trouble in the second half, pressing when they're bringing the ball out of the back. But it just seems to be not in Napoli's nature. Unless Gattuso just decides, let's roll the dice and go for it. It seems to be not in Napoli's nature to go with a high press. So, so Yeah, I know, I know where you are with this because I've been there too and I kind of have that with Leon a little bit of like, you can see how they could exploit some of what Barcelona are doing, but based on what they've done this season... It doesn't feel like it's yeah. a thing they're going to do in this game. And you could argue it's not wise to go with a thing that you're not practiced at yeah. and make that what you're going to gamble everything on. And you if remember? you high-press Barcelona badly, yeah. then it's like Messi will score four hat-tricks. Mildly, so. mildly off topic. Remember when Pep Guardiola used to do that like once a season of the Champions yeah. League? He's like, and hey, we're doing this now! And then it would not work. In the semifinals. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, so that's two games uh, down, the Tuesday games down for next week. We've still got the Wednesday games to come. But first, we've got to talk to today's sponsor, Policy Genius. The year 2020 shows up a lot in science fiction. A lot of people predicted that by now we'd be teleporting to work or living on Mars. I thought we'd be teleporting to Mars and then living there as well, but unfortunately that has not yet happened. Those predictions were not true. Do you know what I watched uh, the other night? Hmm. Blade Runner. Mm -hmm. The original Blade Runner. Do you know when the original Blade Runner is set? It's Oh, yeah, it's like 20... It's already happened, hasn't it? November 2019. Yes. The most ridiculous one of those remains. I watched it in February 2020. Do you remember Demolition Man? Yes. Do you remember like the opening scene where like everything is on fire? That's 1996. Yeah. <laughs> and the movie was filmed in 1993. I think <laughs> they really didn't give themselves a big window on that one. I, I always, en- I also enjoy a pessimistic take. The um, oh, which one? Uh, Total Recall, the original Total Recall, where they go to Mars, yeah. and then in the remake, they're just like, now nah, we're staying on Earth. It's like it shows you how wrong they were with that one. <laughs> like that's so far off. We're just gonna stay on Earth for now. So yeah, sci-fi <laughs> maybe doesn't get it right, and we maybe tend to get our predictions about the future wrong. But Policy Genius uh, makes 
it so that even if you're not sure what's going to happen with sci-fi in the future, you can at least be confident knowing that you've got good insurance to deal with it. Policy Genius makes finding the right life insurance a breeze. In minutes, you can compare quotes from top insurers to find your best price. You could save $1,500 or more a year by using Policy Genius to compare life insurance policies. There we are. Once you apply, the Policy Genius team will handle all the paperwork and the red tape. They can also help you find the right home and auto or disability insurance if the situation applies. If your science fiction dreams for 2020 Mm -hmm. still haven't become science fact, don't get discouraged. Get life insurance. It takes just a few minutes to find your best price and apply at policygenius.com. There we are. Thank you very much to Policy Genius for sponsoring this episode of the Total Soccer Show. Daryl, should we talk Wednesdays? I want to read the Policy Genius tagline if you don't mind. Policy Genius, we'll always get the future wrong, better get life insurance right. There we go. There we go. I would also say the most accurate and depressing vision of the future is Ad Astra. Have you mm. seen Ad Astra, Mm-mm. the Brad Pitt movie? Um, he goes to the moon, and it's basically like an airport. Oh, yeah. Okay, I yeah. can see that. That's what will happen, right? There'll be like travel to the moon, uh-huh. but it'll be like sort of being at LAX or whatever. And it will be Virgin Galactic everywhere, yeah, is my, my guess. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, until that happens, let's talk about what will happen next Wednesday. Uh, let's start with Leon hosting Juventus. And I'm going to start with previewing Leon because I'm sort of confused by them. Not Leon, the Mexican team? No, Leon. Uh, the <laughs> Olympic Leone, excuse me. Uh, 11th in Ligon right now, 34 points from 25 games. I am confused by them. Uh, they've scored the third most goals in the league. And when you see that, given their position, you think like, oh, they must just be conceding a ton. Conceded the fifth fewest. So it's really, I think it's a case that maybe some teams in France are getting stronger. And then you've got injury issues to deal with if you're Lyon because they've lost Memphis to pie for the season with the ACL. They lost, Je- lost Jeff Ryan Adelaide as well with the ACL. Know about Memphis. So they've had to uh, adjust because it was Memphis to pie who I think scored the go-ahead goal in the final game of the, of the Champions League group stage that secured them this spot. It's been sort of scraping through by the skin of their teeth. Mm-hmm. This is where they may sort of uh, meet some stronger opposition uh, in the form of Juventus. Uh, to deal with them, we got to kind of talk a little bit about their tactics. Rudy Garcia, it feels like, isn't entirely confident what is his best 11 or what is even the best shape for that 11 to fit into. Um, Usually they're in a 4-3-3 that kind of morphs into a 4-4-1-1, specifically against stronger opponents, uh, mostly PSG. Uh, they went for that shape. Didn't end up working because even with that sort of adjustment of shape, they still, if you imagine Atletico Madrid, again, my second reference to them, in that two banks of four, you, they're super dr- well-drilled, they're super disciplined, and it felt a little bit like Lyon were sort of like, okay, we're in two banks of four, that's all we got to do. And so what they ended up getting beat by was individual 1v1 defending, that they would sort of be in the shape, and then a player would take a person on, that would they would win, the attacking player, and then that was it. The entire shape was collapsed. So the kind of system doesn't yet seem to be there, which I think is partially explained by a lot of the kind of rotation and the players coming in and some of the injuries they've had to deal with. And so picking at the 11 and kind of looking at who the key players will be is mildly challenging because it could be a number of different options. Okay, so mm-hmm. what does that tell us about what they'll do against Juventus then? Uh, it tells me that I think they're going to go with probably something approximating that like four three three, but the the wide attackers kind of drop in, and then the oh, it's similar uh, to that Napoli yeah, style. And then the about. number ten will maybe stay forward. That number ten, my guess would be, is uh, Hussam Awa. Is how you pronounce it. It's A O U A R. Twenty two year old French uh, central midfielder slash attacking midfielder. Been with Lyon for half of his life. Uh, he moved there when he was eleven years old. Uh, he is like one of their few very consistent starters, especially in the midfield, and he, in watching him, is one of the players who is very calm on the ball and can swing from left to right and right to left, and I think that's going to be very key for what Lyon could do against Juve 
with some of the opportunities that Juventus tend to uh, provide for their opponent. But we'll talk more about that when we talk about Juventus. Um, but Husam Awa, I think, is going to be a, a pivotal player. The biggest one, I think, that maybe you might have uh, some more familiarity with because the they been for. tend to shop players, sell them on, and then replace them with players from their squad or like maybe like slightly bargain players. Just say Moussa Dembele. Just say Moussa Dembele. Moussa Dembele is Thank the you. one that you know. 23-year-old French striker. <laughs> you know him from Celtic. Now you know him from Lyon. 28 goals and 57 appearances since arriving in August of 2018. A decent return. I would guess that against Juve, he's going to be doing a lot of isolated running and sort of trying to deal with uh, Juventus' backline, trying to create something. Um, and he is physically capable of doing that. He's got the size and the speed. That tends to mean he draws lots of fouls. He draws lots of cards. My guess is that he's going to post up on Matthias Delict and uh, try to engage him in some 1v1 battles because so, that seems to be the vulnerability. So this jumps us ahead to Juve. Mm-hmm. But Matthias Delict, as I understand it, hasn't had the uh, the start we all expected Mm-mm. at Juve after he was so dominant for Ajax. Yeah. But is he still starting then? He's yes. still a regular member of the starting eleven. And how is that so if there's Chiellini and Bonucci? There and isn't Chiellini. That's been the ah. problem. Uh, yeah, to jump ahead to that one, uh, Giorgio Chiellini has missed most of this season. I think he played his last game for Juve in August, uh, had knee surgery, has only just returned to training. He made a like cameo appearance this past weekend, uh, subbed on for Juve at the very end of the game. And that is one of my big questions about this game is, will Chiellini start? Because without him, they have, I think, only kept like six clean sheets the entire season which is a massive outlier for Juve their defense is usually much more stable and it's not necessarily Delict's fault but my thinking is if you're in this big Champions League clash you're in the knockout round do you go with the sort of old guard I think maybe they will but it's not it would be a big disservice to Delict because again it's not like he's been terrible it's just that he tends to be the one that it seems like attacking players go for, especially with like kind of deeper lying runs. It's where Napoli were sort of targeting is the runs from Milik dropping in and then going long. They can just be a little bit slow to react to that one, to adapt to that one. And I think maybe partially that's explained by Maurizio Sarri's approach. Okay. Yes. So I want to go back to Dembele, though, because uh, Moussa Dembele, I think, first of all, is the perfect signing for Chelsea, <laughs> if and when that happens. Feels like he will be... Too late now? Yeah. Uh, I feel like he does exactly what they want him to do, and I would expect that's what he'll be doing uh, in this game for Lyon. So keep an eye on him. Keep an eye on, if he plays, uh, Bruno Guimaraes, who you may know very... Very much less about in comparison to yeah, Dembele. Yeah. I only know he's a new, he's a January signing. Exactly. I only know that because you told me that when we got yes. to the studio today. Yeah. So I don't even know if he will play because what uh, my assumption would be is that you would see Luca Tussar, who we've talked about many times from the scouting network, and uh, Tiago Mendes as the two sort of sitting deeper midfielders. Uh, Tussar would be the one that if Guimaraes were to play would probably make way for him. But Guimaraes, from everything I've seen from him, from his time with uh, Atletico Paranense in Brazil, uh, can, again, do the job of being very confident on the ball, kind of bringing it down under control and then swinging it left to right, right to left and finding very good lanes for passing and I think that's going to be very important in how Lyon try to attack Juve because Juve will leave space if Lyon are able to find it. They try to kind of neutralize that a little bit, but I think if Lyon can be smart in their possession and finding a way through, then I think Lyon could cause an upset in this one. What do Lyon have have to offer defensively? Because they're going to be up against, say, Cristiano Ronaldo, Mm -hmm. for example. Do they have defenders who can match him? Uh, I mean, they might if they weren't all injured. Uh, They've been without their probably first uh, choice uh, left and right backs for uh, the majority of the season. So instead, we'll probably have Brazilian Marshall on the left uh, and then maybe Rafael, Rafael da Silva, formerly of Manchester United, on the right. Oh, wow, that's where he is. He subbed out in the eighth minute last weekend. So we'll know today uh, at time of recording... 
don't know the lineups, but uh, if he is not on the squad at all, then maybe he won't be able to go, in which case they'll have uh, Kenny Tete. Oh, uh, I know him. Yep, yeah. mm-hmm. he'll be in there. Um, and then Jason Denier, I think still in the scouting network. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'll either be him or uh, Anderson, a Danish center back, and then Marcelo, who's been there for a very, very long time. He's kind of a consistent performer for Lyon. It's a standard back four. Uh, I wouldn't say they're the fastest of uh, back lines. I would say Denier is probably the center back who will be putting out most of the fires if he's in there. All right, you ready to talk Juve? Of course I Okay, am. Of course so I am. Juve, under Sarri, mm-hmm. what's he doing with Cristiano Ronaldo? Uh, he is essentially letting Cristiano Ronaldo do Cristiano Ronaldo things. They are... You'll see them often listed as a like a four three one two with Dybala sort of central. I remember this Ronaldo and Dybala kind of, or mm-hmm. Ronaldo and someone else kind of split usually forwards. Yeah. yeah, Ronaldo and Iguain, and then underneath mm-hmm. them is like Dybala yeah. or sometimes Aaron Ramsey poking through the middle. Yeah, you yeah. can you can say you can remove the Aaron Ramsey from the equation really? on this one. Yeah, it has not gone well for him under. Oh Sarri. really? Yeah, they, he's a little bit on the outside looking in right eee. now. Um, so it's either yeah, as you said, it's either Dybala uh, dropping in and being that sort of number. 10. If that happens, then it's Juan Cuadrado, who will probably start at right back, bombing forward. And it really does like... He's right back, but really a winger? Yeah, he becomes like that, like the third in a front three. So it almost becomes a like three... Diamond four and then three with Quadrado on the right. Um, if not, then it's Paulo Dybala drifting out wide and staying on the right. That's what he did against Napoli. He yeah. stayed on the right hand side. He did it again against Brescia this past weekend. So it's sometimes it's a four three three, sometimes it's a four three one two. But Dybala uh, could be a very uh, like I guess liquid figure in terms of where he's moving and what he does. The key to me, correct me if I'm wrong, is mm-hmm. that Ronaldo ends up being like essentially the left forward. Yes, and that's what he's assigned with. Mm-hmm. Right, it's a way of giving him that whole left side to attack. Yep. But giving him no defensive responsibility. Like he's not like a left winger who has to come back. He's a left forward who yeah. can just stay left mm-hmm. forward and have that zone and not have any responsibility the other way. So here's where, like, forgive me if this is a bit roundabout, but you're absolutely right. But that is also where I approach this with like everything I read about Leon, everything I saw of them, I thought they're not going like, to, at best, they're hoping for like a nil nil draw at home. Maybe they get one goal and then they go to Juve and lose. I do think there's a vulnerability here with Juventus for exactly what you just mentioned. If you have them in that 3-4 or the 4-3-3 with a front three of, say, Ronaldo, Higuain, Dybala, those three will drop back a little bit, but they're not dropping into like press and being a compact zonal system or anything like that. If you can bypass those front three, there's usually about 30 yards between them and the midfield, and you've got a lot of space to operate. What Juventus will try to do is sort of block off half the field and then compress you that way so that they kind of contain you into one zone of the field, not with a lot of pressing, but just sort of, oh, you can't pass there because there's a midfielder standing there, so you've got to go back out wide to the left. Now the right back steps up, and then Dybala drops in, and you're kind of contained. If you can play quickly and rapidly through that, there is suddenly massive amounts of space. And that's where I go back to why I think that midfield for Lyon will be so important because if they can get through that first front three and quickly spread to one side of the field, Juve will try to contain And If you swing it back over, you've really pulled them apart and created lots of space on the opposite side to attack. So the midfielders underneath will be Matuidi? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it would usually be Sammy Kadira. He's out long term with an injury. I think is Emery John's been sold. Emery John's been sold. So it will be Matuidi, uh, Pjanic, and Bent- Bentancur, uh, the oh, Uruguayan midfielder. Okay, yeah. yeah, it could be uh, Adrian Rabio who can kind of swap in at any one of those positions. Uh, if it's say if Pjanic can't go, he subbed out against Napoli, but I think is is fine to go. Then like Bentancur would probably drop in, and Adrian Rabio would be like right sided central midfielder. But that's roughly what it's going to be. And my left back is uh, Alexandro. Oh, of 
course. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Still there. Yeah. All right. Alexandro Bonucci delicts Quadrado. Uh, maybe Danilo, but probably Quadrado. Got it. Um, and Travis and I kind of talked about this on, on Top Drawer today about how, like, when you look at that Juve team, you think, like, Miralem Pjanic is your holding defensive midfielder? Like, that's... like Wait, it wasn't Top Drawer about the U20 women's team? It, it was, but it was about, like, how the U20 women's team didn't bring any, like, defensive destroyer midfielders oh, see, and I how see. that could be an issue, except what it indicates is that they're expecting to have lots of the ball and lots yeah. of possession, and so you don't really need the destroyer or you need somebody who can keep the ball moving, that is Miralem Pjanic. So Juve, like the US women's under-20 team, Mm -hmm. could qualify out of CONCACAF for the Olympics? I would say so. I would say they probably could. (laughs) Uh, They will be missing Douglas Costa. He's out with a muscle injury. He might be back, but it feels like they'd be rushing him back in. As I said, they'll be without uh, Sammy Kadira. So the issue remains just sorry ball in general and the perception thereof that there's Anytime Juve fail to win, uh, like this is a Juventus team that are currently top of Serie A, and yet they're still like, oh, it's not working. I don't know if this is going to last very long. <laughs> it's like, give it some time. Let them figure it out. But I think there are vulnerabilities there that maybe you wouldn't think are there when you look at this Juve team and how strong they are. And I think big switches, quick exchanges of possession to pull Juve apart and to exploit the fact that you're not going to have that front three dropping in and defending aggressively, I think that could create opportunities. But then it's worth remembering that this is a Champions League knockout game, which which means I believe Ronaldo is legally obligated to score. <laughs> and where is it? Is it at Lyon or at? It is at Lyon first leg. Yes. At Lyon mm-hmm. first leg. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Yep. Um, yep. But that game's not on TNT. It is not. Of course, it's not the main event <laughs> no. because. The, unless you got, you got anything else on this game? No, I mean, I think, I think I'm excited to watch Lyon just because, I, I'm, I mean this sincerely, like, so many players that we talk about, uh, I'm just going to name two because I don't want to do the fake list, but like, uh, Ferlan Mendy, who's been so good for Real Madrid, he came from Lyon. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have Endombele, who was previously partnering Luca Tussar, who's yeah, now yeah. going to be but moving. But isn't that the problem, is that they're not at Lyon anymore? Yeah, but like, I guess, like, I'm so impressed. You think there's a next generation? Yes, yeah, I think, okay. like, I'm so impressed by what Lyon do. I mean, even they've already given a de- uh, debut to Rayon Cherki, is his name? C-H-E-R-K-I. I believe he's the second youngest player to ever play in the Champions League, ever. Uh, 16 years old and a, f- and a few months and a few days. But like they're already giving youngsters these debuts. They still have every single player on that team is like 22 or 24 or 20. They, yeah. just, I'm excited to watch them from that perspective of who's the next big thing, who's going to get that next big move, and then who's going to be the youngster I mean, who comes in and replaces them. In my head, it's the number 10 whose name I don't quite know how to pronounce because it's all vowels. Yeah, Awa. A-O-U-A-R. There we yes, go. yes. Awa and probably <laughs> Literally Dembele. all vowels in one consonant, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you don't pronounce the consonant, so it all works out well. <laughs> yeah, and then Dembele, as you mentioned, uh, I think that's the other, or as you know, the other big player yeah. who I think could definitely get a move at some point soon. All right, so the main event mm-hmm. is Real Madrid versus Manchester City. I've heard of both those Zinedine teams. Zidane's Real Madrid mm-hmm. against Pep Guardiola's Manchester City. Mm-hmm. If we're going to keep building this up, it's also... Manchester City, who recently received the news... What's this now? ...that they are banned from the Champions League for the next two years. I hadn't heard about this. So I actually want to start I had, there. For listeners who hadn't heard those shows, I promise. Don't you worry. And, you, so yeah, we've, we've <laughs> I, don't, I don't want your tweets. We've covered the details of that yes. ban, right? Um, you and I talked about this coming mm-hmm. into the studio. You think that maybe the Man City players, this will have no effect on them at all, right? I... Like, basically, I'm open to the idea that mm-hmm. this might be weighing on them in some way, that this is like, all right, if we get knocked out this year... Maybe we're we're not back as a group ever again because yeah. there's t- a two year ban coming. Yeah, I mean, it's worth noting here. Unless I don't want to speak for you, neither one of us has been in a Champions League knockout round game 
while we're also facing a potential ban from that same competition. So I can't really say for sure how I would feel, but I would say that I tend to think of soccer as like a distraction, that once I'm on the field, I really am just kind of focused on what's happening in that moment. And I think that's possible. That's one outcome. Mm. But I think another outcome is that there's some weird unrest within the squad about what's going on where suddenly like you don't trust your employer anymore. You know what I'm saying? Because they've been probably telling you it's fine. And then you find out, oh, it's not fine. They have literally been telling them it's fine. We're going to be in the competition next season. Don't worry about it. So it'd be really, it would just be interesting to see how they come out. I suspect you won't, I suspect you wouldn't know if you didn't know. Who's, you know home, who's the home team first? Is it um, Man City? This game is at the Bernabeu. Okay. So, uh, but to your point, like, regardless, there maybe is the, even with what I've said of like, like uh, you just focus on the game. That's easier said than done. That say you go 2-0 down at halftime. Maybe those conversations then are like, don't you guys care? Like, we might not be back here. Like, you got to tighten it up. And then maybe some of that infighting yeah, yeah. bubbles over. Yeah, I can see how that factors into it a little bit. All right. So we'll see. Mm-hmm. We'll see. Um, let's get to. I'm sure it will be a narrative that people are looking for. Yeah. <laughs> let's get to the game. Okay. Real Madrid. Mm-hmm. Zinedine Zidane, triple Champions League winning manager, three times in a row. Zinedine Zidane. But it was Zidane. all a fluke, Daryl. Bald fraud or something. Came back to Real Madrid. Yeah. It looked a little shaky to it begin did. with. And he kind of found a magic formula, mm-hmm. which was to. Make Casemiro the main man in midfield and give him Valverde as a partner. That's one of the things he did, right? So now usually you have Real Madrid, when they're not playing someone incredible, they play in a 4-3-3. Mm-hmm. And the three-man midfield is always Casemiro, Valverde, and someone else. Yeah. And the, like, but could, who do they have? They have very few other could options. Could be Tony Kraus or Luka Modric oh, right. or Isco, right? But I think the real key is Casemiro so and Valverde yeah. in midfield because Casemiro is at the peak of his powers mm-hmm. in terms of intercepting, tackling, winning balls, and just bossing in midfield. I see him... He's not the greatest passer or the greatest technical player in the world, right? But I see him controlling the midfield in terms of telling players who are definitely better at football than he is, pointing at where they should pass the ball, mm-hmm. right? This is Casemiro's gaff. And it's, is, it's Casemiro's casa. And you know what I'm saying? It's Casemiro who was, I think, originally promoted by Zidane to the first team, right? I think I'm I correct think in, in saying in that. In his first spell. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think he made, he's like, we need a defensive midfielder. Let's get this guy so in So it there. makes sense then that with the return, he would be in yes. prime. Yeah. Here's the best thing I learned about Casemiro um, in my research. According to a Bleacher Report story by Richard Fitzpatrick, Casemiro uses Scout. What? So we use Wisecat, right, to watch clips of players. If people don't know about it, you I can, instantly love Casemiro so much. You can select a player and you can like watch certain actions. You can watch all the passes of a certain player, all the long passes of a certain player, or what a player does under pressure. Casemiro uses Wisecat to research his opponents so that he learns their habits and then he can anticipate what they do. I am amazed by this. Yeah. Because it's... I'm sure he's not the only one, but I love... It just makes sense for Casemiro to be doing this. But, right? it, but it also feels like that thing that 10 years from now every single person is going to be doing like they're going to know exactly like oh daryl puts on his left foot it means he's going to cut it back to his right foot i'll step here yep. but uh, like to have done that earlier and to be on that train earlier mm-hmm. it does kind of explain the increased performance ability so right now not right now because he's probably preparing for saturday's game but after saturday casemiro will be on y scout watching kevin de bruyne best actions <laughs> you know what I'm i saying? love that so much i really do <laughs> All right, so that, that's one reason to love Casemiro, oh, right? Casemiro on my team. The reason Zidane is like suddenly able to get the best out of Casemiro is he has paired him with no longer the original Zidane midfield of Casemiro, mm-hmm. Kroos, Luka Modric. Luka Modric is 34 now, right? So he can't quite go for as long regularly as, as he used to. It's Valverde. 
21-year-old Uruguayan Valverde. Mm-hmm. Um, Swerby Valverde? Well, so yeah, we originally put him in the scouting network mm-hmm. when he was a teenager, when he was an attacking midfielder. Yep. And I called him Swervy Valverde because I'd watched his white scout mm-hmm. highlights. And it was a lot of like just hips, attacking midfielder, like, yeah, put a swerve on, like dribble at people. He has turned into a real all-round midfielder where a big part of his game is pressuring the opposition. So a lot of what happens with Real Madrid is Valverde gets in someone's face, makes them make a mistake, Casemiro picks up the loose ball. Mm-hmm. That's the pattern. So that's why that's why they're so successful in midfield. The Valverde-Casemiro partnership. Like honey and vinegar, but also kind of vinegar-honey at yeah. the same time. Yeah. Or like Valverde <laughs> loosens the lid yeah. and Casemiro pops it off. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> so that's one of the things going mm-hmm. on with Real Madrid. When Real Madrid are attacking against you know uh, mid-table La Liga opposition, mm-hmm. The, it's been a front three recently, right? And like, so for example, this past weekend against, I want to say, Celta Vigo, it was Gareth Bale on the right wing, and it was oh, yeah. Eden Hazard back from injury on the left wing. I might have forgotten that both of them played there if you hadn't brought that to my mind. Well, it's interesting, right? Because yeah. Bale still has the Wales Golf Madrid uh-huh. thing yeah. going on where not everybody at Madrid fully trusts him, but he's still Gareth Bale. He can still run at you yeah. and scare you. He's very dangerous. Eden Hazard. First game back, they, they didn't win. It was 2-2, but he still looked threatening. Mm. Eden Hazard coming in from the left on his right foot, going at people. It's a terrifying thing. But the key to Real Madrid's attack, despite all the comings and goings of Jovic and whoever else, it's Karim Benzema. Of course it is. 32-year-old Karim mm-hmm. Benzema is not underrated, but I think taken for granted. Yeah, that's, right? that's fair. Yeah, He is, I'm going to go out there and say, he is as good as Lewandowski. Mm-hmm. He can do everything. He's a finisher. He's good in the air. He can hold it up. He makes intelligent runs to open up space for other people. Karim Benzema can do a bit of everything. He's still got a bit of pace as well. The man is not, I wouldn't say he's like blazing fast, mm-hmm. but he's certainly not slow. He can run in behind you. Karim Benzema has got it all. I think he's the key attacker for Real Madrid. Yeah, that makes sense to me. It's, it's, it is crazy to think about a team that have, has Gareth Bale and Aiden Hazard, and after all the changes and new signings that have come in, that it still is Karim Benzema who's, Karim who's doing Benzema. the Karim Benzema things. I want to say have have he's Zidane's most used player mm-hmm. this season, right? I think, and I think Casemiro might be the second most used. Benzema's also second top scorer in La Liga, just one goal behind Leo Messi at time of recording, right? Mm-hmm. He is still absolutely doing it. I've heard Karim of Benzema. Here's the other reason I think he's really important. So I've mentioned Real Madrid as being in a 4-3-3 most of the time. When they played Barcelona in that Clasico in December that finished 0-0, Zidane went with a diamond midfield. I think he added Isco and went with four midfielders. When they've played Atletico Madrid, and I think also Valencia in the Supercopa and Atletico Madrid in the league, he's gone with a sort of... It's still 4-3-3, but it's 4-3-2-1. And it ends up being Benzema's the only all-out attacker. And he ends up fielding Casemiro, Valverde, Kraus, Modric... And Isco. Mm-hmm. So he goes with five midfielders, um, two of which are kind of attacking, but they're still midfielders. I've got a feeling that's what Zidane's going to do against Manchester City because it's what he keeps going to when he faces opposition who may be at the same level. I believe... So I'm no cr- bail, no yeah. Hazard. Maybe Hazard off the bench. That makes sense. I believe I'm correct in saying that Isco is like kind of the man out in terms of I think he's the one who gets substituted first if things aren't going well, and he's yeah. the one who I think some of the fans have already kind of turned on. So I want to then watch him if he does start this game to see if that is him being scapegoated or if he really is sort of holding up what Zidane is trying to do. So I hope he plays in this game if for no other reason than that. Okay. I... Yeah, I think the thing with Real Madrid fans, mm-hmm. I'm not sure Zidane is as affected. Oh, you don't think so? Right, because he's happily yeah, played Bale a bunch, yeah. right, despite the mm-hmm. Wales Golf Madrid yep. stuff. So I don't think he cares if they whistle Isco or not. Like, he trusts Isco um, in certain moments. Um, no. So there's my guess. You're going to see like a 4-3-2-1. Um, 
The fullbacks are the interesting thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned Mendy. I love him. Not Benjamin Mendy. He's so good. Fernand Mendy. I'm really confident he'll start um, over Marcelo. Marcelo's powers are waning. Mm-hmm. He's still super talented, but basically Mendy is younger by distance and has the legs to get up and down. So we think Mendy will start at left. I can't wait to see Marcelo playing as the number 10 for Inter-Miami at some point in this season. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. Uh, Danny Carvajal, yep. right back, assuming he's fit. And then the almost guaranteed centre-back partnership, the very established centre-back partnership, is Varane and Ramos. Mm-hmm. Varane and Ramos, really solid, really good with the ball. Like it, It's a great centre-back partnership. Rafael Varane and Sergio Ramos. So that's what Real Madrid are looking at. And then uh, Thibaut? Thibaut in the goal? Thibaut in the goal, whether you like him or not, because Kayla <laughs> Navas plays for PSG. I, I wonder if Zidane could, would take Navas back if he could. Probably. Um, the opposition, Manchester City. Like we said, it's a weird moment, right, with the Champions League ban and all that. There's also a few injuries. Right? Also, plenty of injuries at Manchester City. Raheem Sterling had a hamstring thing recently. We don't know if he'll be back. Leroy Sano, weirdly, is complicating things by being back in training after that ACL injury. So a surprise return for Leroy Sané is possible but unlikely. It also sounds – I think Manuel uh, Faith, who's been on the show several times, uh, he wrote an article this week saying that the talks between Bayern Munich and Leroy Sané and Man City that seemed very clear and progressing very clearly yeah. have maybe gotten a little murkier, that maybe it doesn't quite fit with what Bayern are trying to do now. I think Oliver Kahn coming in has complicated things. So there's also a chance that maybe Leroy Sané is looking at this as like, hey, suddenly that's not looking so good. Maybe yeah. I need to make sure that I've got somewhere to play next season. I'm going to do some dribbling in yeah. training and uh, mm-hmm. see if it catches somebody's yeah. eye. Yeah. You've also got uh, David Silva got caught at the end of the Man City West Ham game. Like I, I checked literally before we started mm-hmm. recording and it was like, we don't know. We're going we're gonna to check yeah. it out. If David Silver is out, then suddenly Man City are starting to run out of attacking options. Which is insane to think about, given how much depth they have. Yeah. Yes, right? To the point where the game against West Ham, which is what, midweek, weirdly? It was like a makeup game, mm-hmm. right? Um, they played Jesus and Aguero in the... So I haven't mentioned the formation, but Man City almost always play that 4-3-3, right? 4-3-3. Um, with usually one striker and then attacking wingers mm-hmm. who come inside. Jesus and Aguero shared that job. Hmm. Like as in like sometimes Aguero would be the number nine and Jesus would be on the left, like in the Raheem Sterlingish role. Um, and sometimes they would switch, but they were both on the field and taking turns being the striker, taking turns being the left winger. I think that could happen in this game as well. Inter- that'd be if, interesting. If Sterling's not back. Mm-hmm. If Sterling's back, I think Sterling. And again, we see, as we said earlier, Guardiola will experiment and change things up and just sort of be like, yeah, this is what I've got. This is what we're going to do. We're going to try this. Mm-hmm. And so there could be of all these games. This is the one that I could see something kind of wild coming out of Man City. Speaking of. Oh, boy. I think Fernandinho is going to play centre-back. Yeah, well, yeah, right? that makes sense. So, first of all, Emirate Laporte mm-hmm. is going to play centre-back. He is, he's the, the key mm-hmm. defender in terms of he's the quickest. He's probably the best and most reliable centre-back when he's uh, not injured. Yeah. Um, he came back against Sheffield United, then he had a little break. Then he played again recently, and now he's having a little break. And I think they're really, they've kind of given up on the league, right? Almost yeah. admittedly, like, it's Liverpool's. Almost like they're 20-some points behind, yeah. 22 points behind right now. Goodness um, gracious. I think they've been targeting, right, well, let's make sure Laporte is back and match fit, but not at any risk of getting injured just before this game against Real Madrid. So I think Emirate Laporte will start at left centre-back. I think right centre-back is going to be Fernandinho. I think for all the criticism, I think Pep Guardiola is sticking with Fernandinho as his centre-back. Yeah. I went and really drilled as deep as I could into this and watched a lot of Fernandinho at centre-back. If you didn't know that it was an issue, you'd think there's a perfectly good mm-hmm. centre-back. Yeah. I, I think in a weird way, it, it's not that bad. But then anytime Man City can see the goal, you can find a mistake and you can find a centre-back mistake and you can find a Fernandinho mistake and you can say it's all Fernandinho's fault. Yeah, I mean, because I, like Ryan and I have talked a lot about it and there have been individual moments where it's like, oh, he could have stepped to that faster. Or, oh, he dropped in a little bit too quickly in that left space. 
But I think it's also easy to see those specific moments as like, oh, it's definitely him him being a center back instead of a holding midfielder as yeah. opposed to – to you, to your point, all of the other vulnerabilities with Man City, if everything else is sort of like put together and like, okay, now this guy's here and now that doesn't work anymore, now we're doing this, then it then follows that there's probably going to be more vulnerabilities and more yeah. sort of a more exposed back line than we've seen in years past, which probably then explains why he's been kind of under more scrutiny and as a result. And I actually think Fernandinho's biggest problem at centre back mm-hmm. is that he doesn't have Fernandinho in front of him to protect him. <laughs> They gotta clone him. Is do, you know, what do you know what I'm yeah. saying? Like it's not. Absolutely. It's almost not as yeah. if he's a terrible defender. It's because he doesn't have the protection of that he gives to the other centre backs yeah. when he's there. That's a really good point. The guy that's there instead is Rodri, mm-hmm. who I really thought would be. Remember, I remember our season previews. We were saying, "Oh, Rodri will be eased in slowly over mm-hmm. the course of the season." Instead, bang! Rodri was the pivot midfielder. Fernandinho was the centre back. Yep. Straight in there. Rodri, beautiful with the ball. Right? Does all the things Guardiola wants in terms of passing and moving and picking things out. He does not do the Fernandinho foul. Mm, that's a problem. That's a big problem. Right. Because if you don't have that sort of slowing it down, again, it's your point. It's yeah. not destructive enough in, in descent, defensive yeah. central midfield. Because Fernandinho will do that foul, somehow not get booked, do it again, still yeah. not get booked, and then maybe get booked the third yeah. time. But that's he three He does a times. Jedi mind trick after he does yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe that's it. That He could be a Jedi. I, w- I wouldn't put it past him. But then, yeah, to your point, that's three times that an attacker then hasn't gotten through and been one-on-one with the center back who now has to make a choice. Mm-hmm. And thus, maybe you cover that center back, but when he drops in, now, yeah, now you have that three more times that they're coming right at you. Interesting take, Daryl Grove. So I like I'm, this. I'm making excuses for Fernandinho, but essentially... This You're not making excuses. You're making a valid defense of why maybe everything isn't his fault and we're being a little bit hypercritical. Okay, yeah. So even then, if I'm making a yeah. rational argument why it's not all Fernandinho's fault, it's still a weakness that you yep. can kind of get past Rodri and, and attack Man City's yeah. defense, right? And again... Real Madrid. Um, I would, I would even argue that like a good test for whether Fernandinho can play centre back or not is to watch him go up against Karim Benzema. Yeah, because there's not there's not many better in terms of in terms of testing. Not so much. Um, in terms of fullbacks, I think Zinchenko will start over Benjamin Mendy. Mm-hmm. We won't get Fernand versus Benjamin. That's sad. which I think Fernand has wanted his whole life. Mm-hmm. Now, is, it, is it Fernand? Is that Fernand? It's not Fernand, is it? Uh, it's Fernand. Fernand, excuse me, yeah, Fernand mm-hmm. Mendy. I think he's wanted this matchup his whole life because he's almost been overshadowed by the other left back French yeah. Mendy, and I think he wanted to prove like I'm the yeah, <laughs> I am the Mendy now. Yeah, I'm the Mendy now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I think Zinchenko is going to start because I just think it seems like Guardiola trusts Zinchenko more mm-hmm. for whatever reason. I'm yep. not entirely sure why. It just seems like Zinchenko is more Guardiola's player than mm-hmm. Mendy is. Yeah. Uh, the other side, Carl Walker, right back, probably. Gareth Southgate's fallen out with him. Um, really? Guardi- Guardiola still likes him. I didn't know that. Trent Alexander Arnold. Oh, that'll do it. Yeah. I've heard of him. He's good, too. Yeah, yeah. I've heard a lot of players, happened. it turns out. Yeah. That's what, England just have a thousand right backs, right? Plus Reese James. Mm-hmm. Talked about Reese James earlier. Move through. one of them to centre back? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, we've only briefly mentioned him. Kevin De Bruyne, key man. Mm-hmm. Absolutely Manchester City's best player, in my opinion. Leads the counter-attack, can dribble at you, can bend in weird crosses that you didn't see coming. Kevin De Bruyne can do basically everything. He's the guy that Valverde and Casemiro and all those guys have to stop. He's mm-hmm. the key man. Okay, so that, right. that's your key matchup there? That's my key matchup is Kevin De Bruyne versus Casemiro. I know you don't Who like... Who can watch the most wise cap? <laughs> I know you don't like to do like full-on, like, oh, they're going to win this one, one nil over, whatever. But like... Who would you give the advantage to right now? Who did you, in your research, feel like they seem like they're going to have like a lot of the strengths and be able to exploit a lot of the other team's vulnerabilities? I, don't, I didn't have a really? feeling either way of like, okay. oh, this is going to go this way or that so way. So we're going to penalties. If anything, I'm excited to see Manchester City um, in an environment where they haven't given up. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? Because yeah. I do. I watch them in the league and I think 
it's not like they're like lackadaisical or anything like that, but the spark has gone out a little mm-hmm. bit, right? There's not a sort of, um, we have to win this game, it's do or die like it was. The season they won the league where mm-hmm. Liverpool and Man City were neck and neck and it was constantly both winning every week. That fire doesn't seem to be there for Manchester City. But I think when they go into a Champions League game that, that those sparks might start flying again. This is interesting. Stoke the embers. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense because it has been a long time since we've seen Man City in that position. So then it does raise the question of, are they going to be more like PSG where they've sort of, like the league doesn't matter as much anymore so now they have to then raise their game a thousand percent to be in the Champions League at this yeah. level or are they already there because they've been here before? We'll find out Wednesday. We will indeed. <laughs> I'm more excited for that game than I already was, and I was already really excited for it. Um, and in terms of a tactical matchup, we know how Guardiola plays, right? Mm-hmm. It's 4-3-3, and then when you get the ball, you spread the opponent as wide as you can, and you move the ball around, and you all interchange positions, and you try and open up space. Um, I'm not sure Real Madrid let you do that to them. I think Real Madrid end up having more of the ball. It'll be fascinating to me to see a Manchester City team defend, mm-hmm. right, with Rodri. Probably Gundogan maybe helps a little bit in that midfield for Manchester City, but it'll be interesting to see Manchester City on the back foot. Oh, man. All right. I'm excited for all four of these games. I, th- I think we've, we've, we've done some previewing, my friend. We certainly have. And then we are off to New York City mm-hmm. next week for MLS Media. It's Media Day, but we're calling it Media Week. Yes. Right? Yeah. We're also going to see our old friends, the Cooligans. Mm-hmm. We're, I think we're going to be on their show, which will air on Wednesday. We'll see if they meet our f- writer conditions. We will. M&M's galore. Yep. That's what I want. <laughs> so we can't guarantee that we'll do deep dive reviews of these Champions League games because we're going to be running all over the place in midtown Manhattan. Yes. <laughs> Are you are you expecting a Home Alone situation? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Actually, weirdly, I watched the John Mulaney bit last yeah. night about how you can't get lost in New York. You cannot. Because it's a numbered grid system. It is. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Because uh, we both have places to be and people to see, in my case, some medical professionals. Yep. Um, I will say, Taylor Rockwell, thank you for taking an awful lot of time to talk to me today about the Champions League round of 16 first legs. Right back at you, buddy. Listeners, thank you for indulging and listening, and we will talk to you again next week.